Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at Football Football. As always, I'm your host, John Dago, joined following a record trade deadline day. Ten trades before the trade deadline ended. Joined by friend in life, none other than the man himself who has his trade reactions on the site for you right now, John Paulson. Paulson, how's everything going ahead of week nine? I think I'm I think I've recovered. I was trying to put out week uh, nine rankings, rest of season rankings as all that was going on at the same time, refreshing furiously, hoping that the Packers would make a move at receiver. I should have known better. I could have saved myself probably 15 minutes of hitting the refresh button on the twitter.com app. But uh, here we are, uh, post trade deadline and uh, ready to roll for week nine. Death, taxes. Packers playing wide receivers that don't matter in 2022. Director of Analytics, Sam Hopkins, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Also, very disappointed that the Packers did not make a move at the trade deadline. I mean, even if even if they would have sold some assets, I would have been fine with that, given where they're at in the division and the conference right now. But what are you going to do? Uh, owning one share of Packer stock can only uh, go so far. And unfortunately, that does not come with the ability to make trades. To be fair, they were in reportedly on Chase Claypool, as we saw Aaron Rodgers melt down live on the Pat McAfee show, as of course, the Packers lost the race to the Bears, who instead sent a second round pick to Pittsburgh to acquire Chase Claypool. And I want to start there as we open the show with our reactions and fallouts from the trade deadline because we do have Chase Claypool now in Chicago. And Paulson, I'm curious to get your thoughts on how you were viewing Chase Claypool following the trade deadline. And is he someone that if he's on your waiver wire, because there are shallower leagues who may have dropped him, someone you're looking to acquire. I think, yeah, I think it's worth looking at, depending on who you have on your bench, that you might have to cut for him. Uh, I don't think that this is necessarily a, this is not an obvious upgrade for him going from Kenny Pickett as the wide receiver two, wide receiver three in Pittsburgh to Justin Fields, you know, a more run heavy offense thus far. Uh, wide receiver two, I guess he could push Darnell Mooney for, you know, number one targets, but I don't really see that happening in a half season. Uh, probably would take the offseason for that to really happen. Um, I don't think he's like an alpha one going to be type player, not the greatest route runner, uh, didn't make a much of an improvement from his first to second year in terms of his uh, route running, but he did uh, post back-to-back 860-yard seasons uh, for the Steelers the last two years, solid contributor, uh, probably view him as a fantasy wide receiver for unless – the Bears are signaling to us that they want to throw the ball more and they want to have more weapons out there for Justin Fields. They have uh, allowed him to throw more over the last month and his fantasy uh, production has really taken off. So I do view this as a as an upgrade for uh, for Fields. So we're going from Equinemia St. Brown and Dante Pettis to uh, Chase Claypool as the number two option there. And... For Claypool, Sam, we know that his average depth of target has dipped now for three consecutive seasons. Two, of course, has been Ross Berger, now with Trubisky and Kenny Pickett. And just a couple of weeks ago, he complained that he was looking for more downfield shots. And at least he has Justin Fields, who leads all starters this year and attempts 20-plus yards downfield. At the same time, though, 
Darnell Mooney, with no Claypool-like competition around him, has already struggled to get there. Like Mooney's the wide receiver 73 in fantasy points per game, hasn't had a single top 24 finish on the year. And so really I think what we're doing is spreading out the opportunity that wasn't there already to both Claypool and Mooney. Thus, like Paulson said, the real winner here is Justin Fields and really no one else. Yeah, I would agree that it's a situation, like you pointed out, where Claypool is going to a team with less target competition. Darnell Mooney, really the main guy in that offense. David Montgomery had been getting some targets as well, but less targets overall. So it's a bigger portion of a smaller pie. So, I mean, the the Steelers had been trending up the last couple of weeks in pass rate over expectation, and we're starting to throw the ball quite a bit more. That's obviously... Part of it is driven by the fact that they've had to. They've been in some pretty heavily negative game scripts. And the Bears had been, after week two, trending up as well, like Paulson mentioned, but then cratered back down to earth over these last two weeks. So it's it's a situation where, again, to your, to your point, Dago, I think Fields is the biggest winner here because he'll have another weapon to throw to, certainly an upgrade, I think, over – Equinemia St. Brown and, and Dante Pettis, but Claypool, it, it doesn't really move the needle for me. I think the biggest winner out of this trade outside of Fields is probably George Pickens, who is going to get a little bit more opportunity now without Claypool and uh, should flourish in the second half of the season. Could I could I add that uh, Mooney got up such a, such a terrible start? I mean, he had eight yards in his first game, negative four, negative four in his second game. And then 23 yards in his third game. Over the last five games, though, he's averaged 67 yards uh, receiving. Has not found the end zone, which I think is playing into that low points per game that you mentioned, John. I, I just think recently he's been uh, a lot better than what they were doing at the start of the year. And a lot of that has to do with the, the, the Bears opening up the offense a little bit. On a week where I'm starting Demarcus Robinson and KJ Osborne on some team, sure, let's get Darna Mooney in there as my wide receiver too. Could care less. Uh, I'm looking for any bodies in the Bimageddon of week nine. Also, very quickly, Justin Fields through week 13, I noted in the waiver wire column, Dolphins, Lions, Falcons, Jets, Packers, and then the Bears hit their bye in week 14. So if you're looking for a quarterback out there, and we all are, to get us to the fantasy playoffs and to shuffle and figure it out from there, Justin Fields with this high rushing floor, an increased five and a half design runs per game the past three weeks in particular, the past two games, two top five finishes at quarterback. Justin Fields, I think, is a player that can get you there. What do you think about George Pickens' rest of season compared to Deontay Johnson as well now, Paulson? Because on one hand, we are assuming the volume is higher. Pickens actually ran more routes than Claypool the past two weeks, so I don't know how much that rate increases. But more importantly, Kenny Pickett, is dead last in the league in completion rate on throws 10 yards downfield and it has only completed 26% of his passes 20 yards downfield for with five interceptions and no touchdowns. Outside of Zach Wilson, he's the league's worst deep thrower. And so I understand if you send more prayers to the heavens, it's a greater chance one is answered, but we really need volume to come through here because these targets are just inaccurate and thus useless. Yeah, it's not great. Uh, you're hoping for the targets to be funneled to the three remaining fantasy relevant players, Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, and Pat Fryermuth. Uh, but as you mentioned, it's just low efficiency targets right now. If you do look at Pickens, his yards per target from Pickett is a lot higher than Deontay Johnson. 
Uh, so for whatever reason, Pickett and Pickens are vibing a lot better. Uh, Deontay Johnson is still getting open. I, I saw uh, the uh, ESPN Next Gen stat uh, guy, I'm blanking on his name right now, but he tweeted out today that he has the highest open score uh, in their metric. He's also, as we know from Matt Harmon's reception perception uh, studies and charting, that he's one of the greatest route runners in the league. Uh, but for whatever reason, uh, Pickett's inaccuracy or just inability to get him the ball on time is is causing him to have very high volume in terms of targets, but low oh, production. So he's showing up uh, regularly in our breakout receiver model, uh, and you're hoping at one of these, you know, one of these games that he's able to break through and get back to sort of his production that we've been used to the last few years. Johnson now under five yards per target at four point eight for the season. I think the biggest winner from the trade deadline, Paulson, is actually Jeff Wilson, who goes to San Francisco not only familiar with Mike McDaniel from their time in San Francisco, but also this year, the Dolphins, 51% of their running back carries have come from 21 personnel with Alec Ingold on the field. Uh, Jeff Wilson is third in the league right now in rush attempts from 21 personnel with San Francisco, averaging 4.3 yards per carry. It's a system he can literally just get dropped into and immediately help out Raheem Mostert, who is not only leading this team in carries, and roughly just 30 away from his career high right now, but has handled 70% of backfield touches in five consecutive games because there was nowhere else to turn to. Now there's an option they can get involved. What are your prospects on Jeff Wilson rest of season? Because Wilson was dropped in a lot of leagues, and rightfully so, given that he had taken a backseat to Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, and I think they were dropping him because you know Elijah Mitchell is likely to come back, and I think most fantasy managers are thinking that Mitchell's ahead of Wilson, which he was at the start of the year. Uh, when this trade first happened, I was just like, oh, okay, he's going to go be the RB2 in Miami. But, I, you know, as I'm thinking about it, there is a chance that he could push Mostert uh, for the RB1 job there. Uh, Mostert's run pretty well. He's averaging, I think, 4.5 yards uh, per carry this season. Uh, Wilson, but he's 30 years old. Wilson is three years younger at 27. He's averaged 5.1 yards per carry this season for the, for the 49ers. Um, and, you know, yards per carry has its own faults and everything, but I think coaches still look at that as like how productive is this player on a per carry basis. Um, so I think there is a, a chance that Wilson eats into Mostert's workload and could potentially uh, usurp him as the RB1. I, I doubt that's going to happen very quickly, but that is, you mentioned the big winner. Yeah, I think he is a big winner because he's going from likely RB3 behind Christian McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell to an RB2 role where he's probably going to see 8 to 10 carries as the number two back in Miami with a chance for more. What does this do for Mostert for you, Sam? Since we know after the Edmonds deal, Mostert still leads the team and carries inside the 10-yard line with four. Alec Ingold, the next man up with two on the team. So where Wilson has thrived in the past, there actually is a vacancy and a, an opportunity there. Right. I think, you know, I'm a little bit less bullish on on Wilson being able to take over sort of the full-on starting role but I think Wilson will cut into Mostert's role more than Chase Edmonds did who uh, was traded away I think we'll talk about him in a minute but on the season Jeff Wilson is averaging 0.83 rushing yards over expectation per carry Chase Edmonds was at negative 1.6 per carry so one of the worst running backs by that metric being replaced by one of the best in the position. So that inherently is going to 
I think make the the Dolphins want to play Wilson a little bit more. I think Mostert got banged up a little bit in the game uh, this past week. Was able to to play through it, but it's it's one of those situations again where Wilson was in uh, that 49 er system that Mike McDaniel used to to coach in uh, and coaches now, so should be able to fit right in right away and continue to have the level of success he's had with the uh with the the dolphins i think what will be interesting to see is how the potential passing work comes now this dolphins offense is so concentrated around jalen waddle and tyreek hill in the passing game that it's not a ton of volume but most of it was starting to take over some of that i don't think Jeff Wilson really has much of that. So I think if Mostert can hold on to that passing down work, it, it, it will continue to make him, I think, a low-end RB2, high-end RB3 rest of season. Yeah, and I, can I add that uh, heading into the season, one of the question marks with Mostert was his ability to stay healthy. We've already seen him pop up on the injury report the last couple of weeks. He's at 101 carries right now. He's never carried the ball more than 137 times in a season. And that was back in 2019. He had 104 carries in eight in eight games uh, the season after that. So if you don't believe necessarily that Wilson has the talent to uh, usurp, I'm using usurp a second time in uh, the podcast. Uh, Mostert via talent, he might he's definitely worth an ad just as an attrition play. The people are going to catch on, Paulson. Like when I use that's interesting as my crutch phrase. They're going to start pointing out you lean on usurp quite a bit. Usurp. Something else that I find interesting is Chase Edmonds being the afterthought throw-in to the Bradley Chubb trade to Denver. And I want to know, Sam, what do you think about this backfield moving forward? Because we know the past two games without Mike Boone, Latavius Murray has matched Melvin Gordon with 25 touches each. Murray, of course, has outscored Gordon, though, in that span because he's received four carries inside the 10-yard line to Gordon's two. But now we have someone in Edmonds possibly coming in, soaking up third-down reps. You even mentioned in, in NFL next-gen stats is rushing yards over expected. Edmonds is dead last. We don't expect him to make an impact via early downs, but what are your thoughts on Chase Edmonds joining this backfield? I mean, the best case for Edmonds is that he's competing with mediocrity. Mostert, I think, is a much better running back, at least that has been this year, than either Gordon or Murray has been for the Broncos. The the Broncos offense is a complete mess, as we've talked about uh, numerous times on this show. And it just, I, I don't think there's really any upside. I mean, there's a chance that Edmonds is on your waiver wire. And I don't think there's any reason to go out and try to get him. Because again, he's he's now going from competing with Mostert, who he couldn't really get much traction with, to now competing against Murray and Gordon, and they keep insisting that Gordon is the starter. They want to continue to to use him. Um, they're obviously getting Murray involved, like you said, but I just I don't really know where Edmonds fits in this unless one or two of those other guys gets injured. How do you view them when they return all three of them from their week nine bye? Paulson, given that George Payton GM, not even the coach, the GM for whatever reason had to come out and say Melvin Gordon is still our starter. And then as we know, Latavius Murray has outscored Melvin Gordon. And now we have Edmonds possibly joining the mix in a worse offense than he was before. Uh, people have choices to start in week 10. Curious to get your thoughts on it. Yeah. I'm going to use your crutch word. Interesting how the, uh, the Broncos 
in that game in London, late in the game, they were leaning on Latavius Murray in crunch time, uh, not Melvin Gordon. I don't know if that has something to do with Gordon's uh, fumbles this year. He's been pretty good the last couple games, but you know, in crunch time, they were using uh, Murray around the goal line. He got that final touchdown, uh, and as you mentioned, has outscored him. Uh, Gordon has run more routes than than Murray. It was twenty two to ten uh, in in week eight, and I think the concern here, if you are leaning on Gordon or Murray as the occasional spot start, because that's kind of where they're at right now, is like you know desperation RB two flex type uh, players, and just hoping that they end up with ten plus touches and a touchdown, uh, is that if they are intending to use Edmonds, it's likely in a passing role. So, you know, those are some high value touches that the, he could be siphoning away uh, from Gordon and Murray. I don't think that there is a huge uh, risk of Edmonds uh, winning the RB one job uh, right now, given the way he's played in, in Miami. Um, but, you know, he could come in and be a factor uh, a little bit more than a factor than what Mike Boone was doing prior to his injury. In the, by Mageddon of 2022, people will have a choice to start Kadarius Tony this week and hope for the best. So curious to get your thoughts on Tony this week, Paulson, since we really can only go back to last year to see what the young Joker has done. Week four, of course, when he got his first career start to the first drive of week six when he got injured, seven and a half yards after the catch per reception. That's what we have to go on for Kadarius Tony's career, who has been explosive in his limited opportunity. We assume he's healthy following Kansas City's bye. We have to follow the tea leaves more. But what are you doing in week nine in particular with Kadarius Tony now on the Chiefs? Well, usually in these situations where a player is traded that first week, I call it the finding the apartment, you know, looking for an apartment week. They're not installed in the offense they're, they don't know what's going on they if they do play it's usually like a package of plays you kind of saw what they did with uh the 49ers did with McCaffrey two weeks ago you know 30 percent of the snaps so Tony coming in playing off or coming off of this injury he claims he's healthy on Twitter I guess I don't know what's going on with this hamstring uh whether or not he's truly healthy or not we'll see what the practice reports say uh but no I, I think he's coming in as the at at best wide receiver four in the first week. I mean, Hardman's playing well. He scored two touchdowns. Uh, Valdez Scantling does something completely different than what Tony does. He does runs a lot of clear out routes and everything uses that speed. And Juju Smith Schuster has really played well the last few weeks. Obviously Travis Kelsey is the number one target in that offense. So what does that leave Tony? And if you're really desperate, I guess you could throw him out there and you hope that they have a package of red zone for him where he gets a, you know, a couple targets and maybe two for 20 and a touchdown or something, or maybe they hand on the ball. Uh, but I don't see a big role right now. I think he's competing with Hardman and perhaps uh, Valdez Scantling for a role in the offense right now. Rest of season, Sam, because people do have a choice right now to sell high on the idea of Tony as a full-time player with Patrick Mahomes. And perhaps that comes to fruition. Uh, but we also know, he's the most volatile player to get moved, maybe even in trade deadline history. So what are you doing with Tony given his outlook right now? I mean, if you can sell high, I think this is the perfect opportunity to do so. It, it's very likely that you picked him up off of waivers, So there's not much other than the hype that you can really base that around. But the Chiefs in general this year have been an extremely unconcentrated passing attack Travis Kelsey has a 23.4% target share over the last four weeks, which is not 
even nearly as high as I would expect at this point. But between all the receivers that they have, Juju, MVS, uh, Miko Hardman, Sky Moore, all these guys are just sort of guys. I mean, none of them are true wide receiver ones like Tyreek Hill was for that team, which is why Mahomes is distributing it a little bit more across his options. And as good as Tony is and has as he's been when he's been on the field, Again, the health is is a concern. The first the first bullet, bullet I have under here is is he healthy? I I am not trusting any player uh, given reports that they are or are not healthy because the the team has the last say as to whether or not he's going to play. And hamstrings, as we know, are one of those things that can be reaggravated pretty easily. So I, I I would sell high on that. I I think he'll he has the opportunity to have more explosive games than he ever would have with this version of the Giants but it's it's one of those things where it's going to be spike weeks like we've seen from Michael Harmon in the past where it's going to be very very difficult to predict when that happens and if it is going to even happen after chasing a pass-catching running back all offseason. J.D. McKissick backing out from his contract with the Bills, reaching for James Cook in the second round. After the whistle, the Bills finally get their guy and Naheem Hines from the Colts. Hines, of course, who is going to pass his physical, the trade not official just yet, but assuming he passes, assuming he practices, will be active this week against the Jets, they've already said, as well. Paulson, what are you doing with Naheem Hines moving forward knowing that Josh Allen, 13th this year in target rate to running backs, but also this is a receiving back that they hadn't had in the past. Yeah, this was a curious, I mean, I guess not, not curious trade, given what the Bills have been trying to do over the last you know year or so, McKissick, James Cook. Uh, but you know, Cook has five catches for 78 yards, 15.6 yards per catch. Uh, not a great catch percentage for a running back, but... You know, a little bit surprising that they would go out and make this trade. Uh, Hines has a pretty hefty contract, if I remember correctly. They just uh, Colts just signed him to that, so I was kind of curious that the Colts decided to move him after saying all offseason they wanted to use him as a receiver. So I think you're looking at Hines' rest of season. I think it's a, a an upgrade for him in that he's a he's a more appealing attrition play if there's an injury to Singletary uh, in that offense, given the way that the Bills. Uh, play and they so pass heavy that he could you could easily see him come in and see 15 touches five of them catches as the lead back if something happened to Singletary and you know you're, you're catching passes from uh Josh Allen uh and then I think the offensive line's better uh so that's good the Colts offensive line has taken a huge step back this year which is part of the reason that Jonathan Taylor is struggling um so I think for Hines himself it's an upgrade it's an upgrade for Josh Allen not that he can go any higher but he's got another uh, really dangerous weapon uh, to throw to. Uh, you know, swapping Moss for for Hines definitely, sh- you know, signals that they want to throw to their running backs a little bit more. Sam, I would imagine this makes Devin Singletary touchdown or bust, and the floor is now worrisome moving forward since Hines, of course, has led all running backs this year with a twenty one percent slot rate. I I mean, it, the floor for all these Bills running backs has always been pretty low because of, A, how much 
the Bills pass the ball and the fact that they don't really pass it to the running back position at all. Singletary leads the team right now this year with an average of 4.3 targets per game. That's a, among the running backs specifically and is running around on just over 50% of the team's dropbacks. So I think this is honestly a situation where Naeem Hines is probably the be- biggest and best sell high candidate right now because his his perceived value in my mind is going to increase the most because he's going from an offense that we've seen struggle to move the ball to an offense that is one of, if not the best in the league. But if you look at the way that the Bills use the running back position, and again, like they have been looking for this type of running back for some time now. So maybe that changes things, but I think Josh Allen is also potentially set in his ways to an extent, and he always has the ability to scramble instead of taking the check down like Matt Ryan, Phillip Rivers, Carson Wentz had in the past in Indianapolis. And, you know, I'm looking ahead at the Bills upcoming schedule and they play the Jets, the Vikings, the Browns, the Lions and the Patriots for the next several weeks. And I don't see any of those teams really pushing the Bills to, you know, play in a any sort of come from behind script. Now, again, they're passing the ball and they pass the ball a lot when they are up. But we saw on Sunday night football against the Packers when it was pretty much out of hand, they were a little bit more conservative and they weren't at least they weren't as up tempo as they they are at times. So it's I think Singletary and Moss are still going to continue to be involved and for a team that just does not give a lot of high value touches to its running backs it's not an ideal landing spot in my opinion for Naeem Hines going forward and we have to wait and see about James Cook, since the Bills had no issues, healthy scratching Zach Moss and going with two running backs on game day for two consecutive games. I was going to skip past TJ Hawkinson, if only because Paulson, uh, he's a player that everyone started every week and became a player that everyone starts every week. So it's like, okay, nothing changes. But you want to talk about the the, the microanalysis of his upgrade, I'm assuming that's the direction you're going to go with the Vikings. So I'd love to hear it. Well, I think it's not so much an upgrade for Hawkinson, but it's an upgrade for Kirk Cousins, who has a better tight end to throw to. Uh, Irv Smith has a high ankle sprain, is likely to miss a month plus, which I think prompted this move. Um, and then you look at the Lions, you know, where do these targets go? Because, you know, you got Brock Wright as likely the, the starting tight end there, although he was concussed last week. Uh, so they've got another young tight end you know, likely to start this week. Uh, I'm on Rice Brown's floor raises a little bit. Uh, and you even have players like uh, Josh Reynolds and Khalif Raymond who are benefiting um, as they try to get DJ Chark healthy. Jamison Williams is not healthy. And maybe you see a little bit more uh, DeAndre Swift uh, as a receiver. Uh, Jamal Williams caught three passes last week, which was new for him. He hasn't been catching a lot. I mean, he's, he's a good pass catcher, but not he hasn't caught many passes with the Lions. And I still think he's starter capable right now, even with Swift back in the lineup. But, you know, that's a big name to be moving uh, at trade deadline. And it's a big move by the Vikings, who I think see an opportunity with the Packers struggling so badly to win the NFC North and to try to make a Super Bowl run. I mean, I think 
all of, all the joy that I see from Bears fans and and uh, Vikings fans uh, at the Packers demise. I just would like to remind everybody that we will be toasting uh, the Vikings when they are inevitably knocked out of the playoffs and the Bears when they don't make the playoffs. So I just wanted to send that those good vibes out to the rest of the NFC North. You just wanted to talk to the fans of the NFC North. That's all you wanted to do with the TJ Hawkinson segment. Uh, and remember, Hawkinson was out last year, injured, whenever Amonara St. Brown went on that torrential league-winning tear for us for fantasy. So I would imagine, yeah, these targets just go right back to Amonara St. Brown, who, when healthy, already has a higher floor, hasn't dipped below a 25% target share yet in his full games this season. Let's move on to some <clears throat> rankings debates for Week 9 because Jonathan Taylor, Sam, missed Wednesday's practice. Doesn't mean anything. Could still play. Jonathan Taylor, of course, who also continues to let everyone down and basically not scoring touchdowns with that ankle injury. But with Naheem Hines being moved, we also know Deion Jackson, last time we saw him a couple weeks ago, start for both Taylor and Hines, was the RB1 overall in the week. 22 touches with 10 targets. My question really, though, is... Do you think it's the same outlook for Deion Jackson with Sam Ellinger under center? Uh, established the runs, Pat Thorman noted that last week the Colts didn't run a single play from no huddle. Colts also dipped down to 54 plays in week eight compared to 70 plays per game the past three weeks in an up-tempo offense. So what is your outlook for Deion Jackson, whether Jonathan Taylor plays or not? Let's play both scenarios. Right. There were some differing opinions on the Colts moving Naeem Hines. Some people thought, oh, well, that means they're confident that Taylor's injury has has healed. They're, they're comfortable with where they are moving forward. Um, others, some other injury an analysts that I follow have also said this is probably going to be a lingering thing for Jonathan Taylor the rest of this year. But Jackson clearly has the passing game chops uh, that I think Hines does. Again, you the 10 targets he had in that one game that uh, Jonathan Taylor missed was was huge, ran around on 50% of the team's dropbacks. Now, I don't think we saw Ellinger scramble that much in the game last week against Washington, but that certainly is a part of his game that, again, Matt Ryan did not have whatsoever. And I think with a younger quarterback like that will – tend to scramble and try to run for the first down and then look for his um look for his uh, outlet I guess in the in the flats there but we've also seen that quarterbacks with a rushing ability inherently increase the efficiency of their running backs from from their rushing perspective so I think it's with Ellinger it's a bit of a wash I guess like it, it doesn't really the, the Jonathan Taylor being in or out is the biggest thing, I think, for Jackson's opportunities and, and role going forward. And the, the Colts offense is probably a little less efficient with Ellinger than with Matt Ryan, but there are so few weapons in this offense outside of Michael Pittman. I mean, Paris Campbell and Alec Pierce are fine, but Jackson, I think, certainly has the, the chops to be in every down back for that offense and the the Colts want to to see him like that when Jonathan Taylor isn't playing. Assuming Taylor is out, let's play that hypothetical Paulson. Where would you have Deion Jackson ranked for week nine? He certainly uh, would be a sneaky start. The issue I think with uh, Jackson, you know, dialing him up is that 
the Patriots are first in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. But this week, with all these teams on by, I don't think it matters. You got to get your players out there that might get 15 plus touches. You're going to be starting them. Uh, he had uh, touch counts of 17 and 22 in weeks five and six. He gained 212 total yards in that span with a touchdown. Looked really good. Uh, so I think that was part of the reason why they were comfortable letting Hines go is that they knew Jackson could fill that role or Taylor could fill that role. I think, you know, the Hines moving on does enhance Taylor's outlook a little bit if he catches some more passes. Um, but just for this week, Deion Jackson would probably, you know, be pushing for low end RB2 ranking if Taylor is out. And, you know, I would just add on Taylor that he re this is a re aggravation of the right ankle injury uh, from a few weeks ago. So, you know, there's no telling whether or not he's going to play this week. You know, Wednesday missing a Wednesday practice is not a huge deal, but it is worrisome. Uh, when it is uh, this situation where he's re-aggravated uh, an old injury. Another player people will have a choice on in week nine, especially is Isaiah Pacheco, because remember, before the Chiefs buy, Pacheco gets his first career start to the same committee usage, basically, we saw in the past. Out-carried Clatter was under eight to six, didn't see a single target to Jarek McKinnon's three. But Andy Reid reportedly sat down with Eric Bieniemy over the buy, and they discussed how they can get Pacheco more than 10 reps in a game without actually throwing their game plan for a loop. So we expect Pacheco to start and maybe possibly his role increase further and separate himself from Clyde Edwards Lair in particular. So what do you think about Pacheco's outlook for week nine, Paulson? Well, this, I mean, it's just almost the same old, same old with, with this backfield, even mm -hmm. though we got the start, you were expecting a big shift in perhaps playing time. Um, and he only played 30% of the snaps, saw eight carries, did not get targeted. Uh, and actually, Jarek McKinnon played the most snaps in this backfield. Now, you know, coming off the bye is when we often see rookies see their workload increase significantly as they have two weeks to sort of plan for their next attack. And if you're, if you're, uh, your reporting there, John is accurate in that Andy Reid wants to get him more involved, then we should, uh, be expecting 10 plus touches. I don't, does 10 reps mean 10 touches? You think, uh, John, that's the word they used was reps, which is also confusing to me. And again, it's like the Ram situation, right? Everyone like in my waivers, Q and a and discord, everyone asked about Ronnie rivers who I didn't go. I didn't prioritize in the rankings in the waiver column. And it's because like, as long as it stays a committee, it doesn't matter, unfortunately. Like Rivers had 12 touches, led the team 52% of backfield touches. He was the RB48 because how poor that offensive line is, not to mention Kyron Williams may be coming back. Also, they didn't trade Cam Akers. Reportedly, we found out Wednesday morning because they're talking with his agent in a way to bring them back onto the team. So you're, we're just never going to figure out the Rams running back, which is okay. It means I can separate them from my life altogether. But for the Chiefs backfield, yes, that's my question too, because if it stays a three-headed timeshare, unfortunately, I don't think it matters for Pacheco. And Sam, as you know, Clyde Edwards-Lair was getting there off of touchdown luck. And we're now seeing that touchdown regression, which we expected to come eventually, uh, making him more of an RB3 or 4, especially if he's going to not have as many touches as Pacheco. So just a, a volatile and crazy situation overall. For sure. And, you know, it, it's interesting because I, I have a, a start sit decision with Pacheco and, and Hines in a team I manage mm. with Connor Allen. And 
I, you know, I pointed, he pointed out we should start Pacheco. And I, I was like, yeah, like they have a, a matchup against the Titans. Like they should blow them out and it should be a good positive game script for Pacheco. But that's what they had against the 49ers in this one game that he started. And he still only played on about 27% of the team's snaps, which is fewer than CEH and Jarek McKinnon. So it's, it's a bit of a tortoise in the hare situation where like, Earlier in the season, Pacheco was really only getting involved when there were blowouts. And now is it is he just not going to get be involved when when they're blowing teams out? So it it is one of those situations where again you're you're hoping for Pacheco to fall into the end zone if you are going to start him. They are a again a very good offense, similar to what I mentioned with the bills and that they have an opportunity to score on any given drive. So there's more touchdown equity in, in that team than a team like the Colts or, or some, some of these other weaker offenses. So it's, I, I don't know. It, it's very tough because you probably, I think have better options than Pacheco at this point. If again, you've lasted this long with, without starting him and I think there are other players with higher floors than him, but he might be, I don't want to say near the top, but certainly in the range for uh, being a top 12 running back if if things go his way. And just to chime in on your lineup decision, I would you know run Pacheco out there considering the, the coming off the bye, yep. the discussion with Andy Reid, and you know Hines just being traded. I think that yep. this week, that, I think that's what we're doing. Other, and, yeah, and, we, and we've seen uh, James Robinson play 22% of snaps his first game. Christian McCaffrey only played 28%. Like every player who's been traded has been limited that first game because, of course, they have to turn around the playbook in six days. So I don't have too much hope uh, for most players that got traded immediately. Jeff Wilson is the exception since, again, he knows the playbook. Josh Palmer is also interesting for week nine, Paulson, because we know before the bye – Mike Williams suffered that high ankle sprain, expected to be out four to six weeks. Keenan Allen, although I expect him to play this game, was not participating in individual drills with that hamstring injury he went into the bye with to start the week. Assuming Palmer's clear from concussion protocol, what do you view Palmer as for fantasy this week and for the next month, honestly, without Williams? Well, you want to like him, right? You want to, you know plug him in and be, you know, supremely confident. Uh, he has looked good at times. He's been a little disappointing at times, but I'm looking at his game log. He's had three games where he's played uh, 87% of the snaps or more, which, you know, you would assume that you know, with, with Williams out that he'd be a, a near full, full-time player. Uh, four for 30 and a touchdown on eight targets against Kansas City. Six for 99 on nine targets against Jacksonville. Those are weeks two and three. And then uh, week six, his last game, nine for 57, you know, on 12 targets, not great yardage production, but a decent PPR day with those nine catches. Um, I think they ha- they have to use them. Uh, you know, the DeAndre Carter is the other option, uh, you know, in two receiver sets. We don't know if Keenan Allen is fully healthy or if he's going to be back. I mean, I would think he's back this week. Uh, Gerald Everett, the other guy. But, I mean, you're looking at a, a 32nd ranked, Last in the league, adjusted fantasy points allowed to receivers, Falcons defense. I think Palmer is certainly a, a quality start. Uh, you just were hoping it would be more productive 
uh, in some of these games where he's played so many snaps. He's got a great quarterback and they need him. But, you know, you're looking at eight, nine and 12 snaps in the, or targets in those three games where he played 87 percent or more of the snaps. Uh, that's a pretty good workload uh, for a player that might be available in the waiver. Probably not. But if you're on, if on your bench and you need him during the bipocalypse, uh, you can use him with, with confidence. Any hope for really the Chargers offense turning around here, Sam, post by since Justin Herbert's still 25th in average depth of target, uh, but the volume's there with 48 pass attempts per game. I mean, I'd like to think so. Uh, the the Falcons, like Paulson pointed out, are are just not that, that great of a defense overall, but we also sort of th- thought that same thing with the Seahawks a couple of weeks ago. Now, the Seahawks defense has turned it around quite a bit and have – shut down a couple of offenses over the past several weeks. And I do think uh, with the status of the Falcons secondary, not sure if AJ Terrell is going to be back. And I think they just traded away one of their safeties as well. So I think again, coming off of the bye, I'm more confident than I have been that this is a potential get right game for the chargers. I think this is, has the potential for a shootout as well. The the Falcons, um, excuse me, the, the Chargers defense has not been that great. And the Falcons offense, despite how frustrated we are with them, has been able to move the ball and and move it efficiently. So I think there's there's an opportunity. I, I would really like Palmer as a starter this week, this, this week, especially if you are struggling with some of the buys. And Palmer, of course, one start last year with Keenan Allen without Mike Williams, 17% target share, five catches and a touchdown. So there is maybe some hope there if all return healthy from the bye. People have a choice to make with Joe Burrow, the QB1 overall in weeks six and seven. Jamar Chase gets injured. Uh, the Bengals do not lean as much on three wide sets and 11 personnel as we thought as Mike Thomas ran a route on less than 50% of dropbacks. It was primarily Tyler Boyd, Hayden Hurst, and T. Higgins. Higgins, of course, who was blanketed also by Cleveland Secondary, who was out there. But more importantly, Burrow finishes the QB 20, and everyone's now panicking. Paulson, what are your thoughts on Burrow rest of season without Jamar Chase? Because even though the Bengals have a Week 10 bye, I believe, coming up, it's it's very... um uh what's the word ominous about what is happening to chase because they didn't put him on an IR, even though he's dealing with a slightly fractured hip, which still makes me concerned for him returning literally at any point this year. Well, that's an interesting take. I, I mean, I read it like they're not uh, putting him on IR. So they think that, that he might be back within that four week window. That's how I'm reading it. Uh, hip injuries are a little strange. Uh, yeah, we don't have a lot of data on that. Talking to Adam Hutchison about it, he's still trying to gather what info he can. This is an unusual injury. Uh, but the fact that they believe that he might be back uh, within four weeks is interesting, uh, I, you know, to use your phrase. I Now it's becoming my crutch phrase. But I, I, I'm not too worried about Joe Burrow. I think, you know, sometimes you get into these interdivisional chains uh, games and uh <clears throat> defenses studied a quarterback so much that uh they have a pretty good read on him and kind of he struggles for a game but i mean you're looking at their upcoming schedule uh carolina this week they got a bye and then they come out uh pittsburgh uh 24th and just a fancy points allowed to quarterbacks tennessee 26th kansas city 29th they don't have a bad matchup 
he doesn't have a bad matchup until week 17 against Buffalo. And even that game, you could see him scoring because they have to play catch up. So I, you know, I'm not worried about Joe Burrow. I am not too worried about Jamar Chase in terms of, you know, reading the tea leaves with this IR. Um, and even if he is out or misses extended time, they do have Higgins. They do have Boyd. Uh, Hayden Hurst is pretty solid. They, they threw the ball to Joe Mixon a little bit more. I mean, there's enough weapons in that offense to uh, allow Burrow. Maybe he's not a top three, top four type option without Chase, but he's certainly QB1 in today's uh, fantasy landscape. Any thoughts on the Bengals game script, Sam, with, in their first game without Jamar Chase? And again, tougher matchup. He Burrow eats five sacks. Maybe that was strictly just a relative opponent performance more than we should start worrying without chase. Yeah, I do think it's, it's a, it's not a panic, panic situation for me quite yet. Uh, Higgins and Boyd are two still very competent receivers who should be able to help lift Burroughs fantasy potential. I think again, Paulson pointed out the, the schedule that the Bengals have coming up. So I'm not panicking yet. I mean, if you think about like some of the other options that you're going to go with that quarterback, I mean, maybe Justin Fields is a better option for the next couple of weeks, like you pointed out earlier in the show, Daggle. But I, I don't really know <clears throat> who else you're you're going to potentially replace Burrow with. So if you are struggling at, at quarterback, I think this could be a potentially buy low. Now, I'm not like going out of my way to do it with Burrow, but because he had this bad game, they do have a buy in week 10. You need to account for that, but that is inherently going to make his value the lowest it's been all season, or at least over the past couple of weeks. So again, if I, if I have him on my team, I'm not actively shopping him or looking for alternate options. But if I'm in one of those situations where I don't currently have a long-term plan at quarterback, he's someone that I think you could be targeting right now. Cortland Sutton, third on the team in targets behind Jerry Judy and Greg Dulcich since Dulcich was activated three games ago. On the field this year, Jerry Judy has a 19.5% target share to Cortland Sutton's 17.9% when playing together. And given Sutton's recent performance having yet to reach 30 receiving yards in any game these past three weeks with Dulcich activated. We are now in a situation where we're even asking in the Biomageddon, uh, I don't know if I could start Cortland Sutton, to be honest. So, Sam, let's start with you. What do you think is happening here? What are you doing with Cortland Sutton rest of season? Cortland Sutton, for me, again, is another buy candidate. I mean, he there, we have seen a shift over the last couple of weeks with Jerry Judy having a higher target share while Cortland Sutton was sort of the clear uh, favorite target for Russell Wilson at the start of the season. But Cortland Sutton has nine end zone targets and just one touchdown to show for it this year. So that I think inherently will come around and he'll start to see some regression. Now, again, it's not, it's not super uh, appealing to put someone like that into your lineup who hasn't produced the last couple of weeks, like you mentioned, but again, I, d I don't know how many better options uh, your team probably has. If you have something on your team and have, have been relying on him 
he he does have a 17 percent uh, target share over the last couple of weeks, which isn't terrible, but uh, not great either. He's still running a route on over 90% of the team's dropbacks. So it's one of those situations where, again, you, you have a couple week lull and it, it doesn't look great. It's, it's a tough pill to swallow to put him in your lineup. But I do think Sutton and Judy are, are two of the really only options. And then Dulcich as well to provide some fantasy value in this offense. And if you, if you are struggling at receiver, I think Sutton is someone you can get pretty cheap right now. Are you also holding Sutton through Denver's by Paulson? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you don't cut him. You could bench him uh, and, and hope things kind of turn around. But I think coming off this by, this is a chance for the team to sort of regroup. They got a win in London and uh, you know, coming back after doing all the high knees and the in the aisle and everything for Russell Wilson, um, exciting for them to come back and sort of regroup. And his his air yards are down. They're sixty one point seven, I think, over the last three weeks using uh, Sam's uh, player stat explorer. Uh, you know, for the season, it's up closer to ninety. So he has you know dipped in that range, but he's also popping in our breakout receiver model. So definitely the under. Uh, performance on the usage is there and you know he's a, he's definitely a candidate to bounce back after this buy I think he had a bad drop and in London and it just needs to sort of regroup he's a good receiver we've seen it over the years that he could produce it's not like he, we're dealing with a rookie here uh, so you know I would you know you may be coming out of the buy you're not looking to start him if you can avoid it but you know he'll probably be ranked in the 20 to 30 range uh, next week because the Eagles are so damn good at football, especially against a soft schedule. Jalen Hurts, just two of his 10 passing touchdowns have come in the second half. Dallas Goddard, 32% of his targets have have come in the second half. This team has literally been able to afford to just take the wheels off and coast to wins. And that's been limiting their ceiling altogether. What do you, do you think about Dallas Goddard's prospect moving forward, Sam? So Dallas Goddard is sort of the the opposite of Cortland Sutton. He does not have a single end zone target this year. A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith essentially hoarding all of those for the Eagles, but he's still the tight end eight on a PPR points per game basis, is one of just five tight ends with a target share above or of at least 20%, and he's passed his by. So he's one of those guys that you can potentially get on the cheap and plug him into your lineup and not have to worry about the tight end position for the rest of the season. I don't think he probably doesn't have the same ceiling as what we thought earlier in the season. But again, if he, he has the ability to fall into the end zone twice, given how good this Philadelphia offense is. And we saw this past week, you know, I think, uh, I don't remember it was on this podcast or another one of someone asked me is, Who's going to push the Eagles to perform? Well, it's like, we don't need them to push them. Like, it would be great if they could, but they still put up a ton of points against the Steelers. And a lot of these players had some solid fantasy games. And Goddard is averaging an outrageous 9.8 yards after catch per reception and is just getting forced at the ball in some of the shallower targets, but has been able to break tackles and have some longer games. So I, I think he's the third option in this passing offense. They, they are still 
passing it when they are ahead, which is good to see. And I do think that Goddard, again, doesn't have the ceiling, I think, of a a Travis Kelsey or a, or a Mark Andrews when he's healthy, but among sort of sort of those second tier options is probably the one you that's most affordable at this point. Thoughts on the Eagles, Paulson, if you have yeah, any, good, since they're just good. Yeah, that's a good point by Sam. Like it might be possible that uh, he might be a buy load and that he hasn't caught a touchdown since week three. But in this uh, in this offense, the you know, touchdown should come. And I don't. I mean, I'm not worried about his second half performance. It'd be nice if they were pushed a little bit and were, you know, winning some 38 to 35 type games so that they just had to keep their foot on the gas. But you're looking at their upcoming schedule: Houston, Washington, uh, Indianapolis, Green Bay, Tennessee. Uh, they're going to probably just roll over a lot of these teams. You get the Giants in Week 14, Chicago, at Dallas in weeks uh, the fantasy playoffs. So these are these are these aren't bad matchups for him. And you know, at the, with the current fantasy landscape at the tight end position, you're getting 4.6 catches for 60 yards, 5.7 targets per game. Uh, he's your starter. You just lock him in, and you're happy you have him. He's a top five option, uh, and maybe the touchdowns haven't been there. But think about this guy's role in this offense. Uh, and how many touchdowns they do score, he's very likely to see some touchdown regression over the second half of the season. Let's get into some charts for everyone. Because, Sam, I know you want to talk about the Patriots running backs in particular. Damian Harris on a Wednesday, not practicing. And honestly, given his touches the past two weeks, I think he's been banged up. I think he was brought back too early. But curious to get your thoughts on their usage and what you're seeing. I, I would agree as well. I mean, he suffered the injury, the hamstring injury ahead of week six, missed that game, and then came back in week seven. They said he was going to be out multiple weeks, but again, returned just after missing just one game. And you see Ramondre Stevenson up on the top right of this chart here. We have high value touches per game on the x-axis and snap percent on the y-axis. And even with Harris healthy in the beginning part of the season, Ramondre Stevenson has still sort of been the, the lead guy, at least from a snap share perspective. He has, uh, I think, just one game below a 60% snap share this season. And Harris has just, he doesn't have a single game above 45% of the team snap. So, it's it's just kind of amazing to see that now come to fruition again with Harris's injury. Stevenson has gotten a, a slightly bigger workload altogether. Again, averaging 8.7 high value touches per game over the last three weeks. He currently leads the team in target share over those past three weeks, and is that's the third highest among running backs over that span. So the fact that he's getting all of these targets and high value touches is just massive for his value. I mean, I think Stevenson is a locked and loaded RB2 the rest of the way and I don't I don't really see many situations where Harris cuts into his workload much more than he already has. Any thoughts from this chart or on the Patriots backfield Paulson? Yeah, I think uh Stevenson is the clear lead back there. Now that this is the Patriots and they could change at any time and we might there might be something going on with Damian Harris that we don't know uh but he it looks like he's more of the 
change of pace RB two right now after you know coming back off that hamstring injury, which is unfortunate for those of us that drafted him because he was very involved uh, prior to the injury, and now it's basically he's been Wally pipped uh, by Ramondre Stevenson. Younger younger viewers, listeners would have to look that up. But the other player that I is popping out here that's made me think uh, is Eno Benjamin. You see where he's sitting there. Nesha Jack, Josh Jacobs and Dalvin Cook very likely to see James Conner back this week, and I want to know, you know, how are they going to treat Conner relative to Benjamin after Benjamin uh, had a bad game, then a really good game, then a bad game in terms of running the ball. Was very uh, involved as a receiver all three games, but are they? Treating him now as the the starting back, I don't think so. I think it's going to be Connor, uh, but it, it, this this could be this chart could be a signal that Connor uh, is a buy or for the rest of the season could show some surprising production if he can take over this usage from Benjamin. Uh, I guess the, the counter argument to that is that Benjamin is seeing all these touches and could continue to see those touches in this offense. For those not watching live. 1 p.m. Eastern with us on Wednesday. This chart also shows Leonard Fournette in the realm of Ramondre, Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey. And it's worth noting Todd Bowles after that game on Thursday came out and said that after Leonard Fournette didn't have a carry following the first drive of the third quarter, Bowles said they actually want to get back to establishing the run more. So I, I actually think we get a lot more touches for Fournette, even though this team is dead last in the league in yards before contact per carry. They can't, they can't and, run the ball. And, what and are have, they doing? They haven't, to, they haven't told them more than 75 rushing yards as a team since week one. They're a disaster running the ball. So but I will, Leonard Fournette's touches, they're safe. I, I will add to Paulson's point about Connor potentially being a buy. The Cardinals on the season are currently ninth in team high-value touches per game given to their running backs. So – the running backs are involved uh, when they get close to the goal line and somewhat in the passing game. So I do think that is something to to be monitoring. If Connor is given his normal workload, then uh, definitely a buy, in my opinion. Let's discuss some trending wide receivers because we now see since Robbie Anderson and Christian McCaffrey were both sent packing, DJ Moore has. 21 targets the past two weeks for a 38% target share. Uh, what are you seeing from the Panthers wide receivers from PJ Walker, Sam? I mean, it, it, almost every analyst out there left DJ Moore for dead. He had a four game stretch with just 14 catches and 118 receiving yards. Now in his last two games, he's had 13 catches for 221 yards and two touchdowns, including what should have been the, the game winner against Atlanta this past week, but his route run percent dropped to a season low 73.9% in week six, but he's run a route on 97% of dropbacks the last two weeks. I think he's back to that low end or wide receiver two or high end wide receiver three range right now. I mean, PJ Walker is looking like the best, probably potentially the best quarterback the Panthers have had in a while, but the other person I want to mention is Terrace Marshall, who has run a route on 91.7% of the team's dropbacks in the last two games. He's only earned 12 targets, and I think that's because of the 
The Panthers leaning a little bit more run heavy, but I do think in an offense that's currently void of talent outside of DJ Moore, he's worth a speculative add in some deeper leagues. And again, if you're struggling for wide receiver production could fill in, um, in these bi-week messes, he does have three end zone targets over the last two weeks, which is great. He hasn't converted either of them to uh, a touchdown yet, but again, someone certainly willing uh, someone to pay attention to going forward. Back-to-back games with season highs and target share for Terrace Marshall as well. Paulson, someone that I actually don't mind starting given all the buys in week nine. Yeah, I'm glad that Sam said that almost every analyst wanted to cut bait on DJ Moore because I did not. I, it was still a hold for me throughout all that nonsense we were seeing. Uh, and PJ Walker is interesting because uh, over eight yards per target prior to taking over as a starter this year had a, a bad first week with with Moore. He started to get a little bit depressed, but over the last two weeks, they bounced back. He's averaging 8.52 yards per target. Uh, in his career targets two more so these two like as whatever deficiencies walker has he does vibe well with more they do have a good rapport and he is producing uh, as for terrace marshall you know i did see that he's had some really bad touchdown luck uh he is uh, was a player and this is a, a you know somebody to watch because he came out of college matt Harmon really thought he was a good route runner was high on him as a rookie he obviously had a a terrible rookie season. Uh, and, you know, we were talking, I was talking with Matt about like his process and did that change anything with him? He's just like, I don't know what, you know, what happened with Marshall still, you know, holding out hope that he can get it going. Cause typically Harmon's uh, college to uh, pro route running charts are pretty well correlated in that if they're good in college, they should turn into a good pro and uh, you know, watching Marshall now with Robbie Anderson out of the way, have a chance to at least start and get some, draw some targets and get some, you know, get some snaps under his belt. It's good to see. So this is, these are two different types of players. I mean, DJ Moore, you were talking about perhaps cutting him in a very, very shallow league where you have short benches, but whereas Terrace, Terrace Marshall is more of a 12 team, 16 or uh, a big bench, 12 team, 14 team type league uh, where you might actually plug him into the starting lineup. If you're desperate. You also want to discuss the Titans wide receiver, Sam, which I am curious about what the hell are you trying to sell me on the Titans wide receivers? Let's, let's see this chart and hear it. I'm not trying to sell you on anything. I mean, I think you can drop every part of the Titans offense outside of Derrick Henry and, and probably Dontrell Hilliard Um, just as a, a handcuff to Henry. They've, they've given Henry 90 carries over the last three weeks combined the Titans have dropped to a negative 20.7% pass rate over expectation in their last three games. Obviously, a function of that was Malik Willis's first start this past week. He only threw the ball 10 times, but the Titans were already trending towards being more run heavy. And so, again, I, I don't even know if any uh, Titans receivers show up on this chart, to be honest. But if they do, they they certainly don't belong there. And I think it's it's time to just cut bait on everyone outside of the the rushing game in Tennessee. Where would you put Malik Willis against the Chiefs if you were to start again, Paulson? Because Willis only threw one pass in the second half against the Texans. They could afford to hide him. Against the Chiefs, though, given how poor this secondary is for Tennessee, 
you can't hide Willis. Like he has to throw. And so I, it's a double-edged sword. That's where I've come down on because at one hand, he does offer the rushing upside. On the other hand, he had 14 dropbacks against the Texans. He took three sacks and threw a pick. You know, they don't have, there's no rule that says you have to throw when you're behind. The, 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 <laughs> the Falcons have proven that they sure. don't, you don't have to do it. The Packers, uh, I Sunday have night ranked, too. Yeah, I, I uh, have him ranked 25th out of 26 uh, starting quarterbacks this week. You could see a, a path if they, you know, do fall behind. Uh, I, mean, I think if they're going to be competitive, it's going to be so much Derrick Henry, uh, Dontrell Hilliard. Uh, just running the ball down the Chiefs' throats. Uh, they're able to stay competitive that way, and they'll just continue to do that. If they fall behind, then you're putting a young, inexperienced quarterback in a position where the defense is teeing off on him, and he doesn't have many receivers to throw to. Uh, the only thing I would mention uh, on the Tennessee passing game is you know, Robert Woods did see eight targets a couple games ago with Ryan Tannehill. He only saw four in the last game with Ryan Tannehill. He's not a good option, but he is benchworthy in deeper leagues because, you know, with Traylon Burks still uh, out with this foot injury and Tannehill taking some snaps at practice today, uh, it's possible that they'll need Woods to produce here over the next month or so if you're if you're hurting at receiver. I don't I'm not confident in starting him, but he uh, is a player that, you know, as the number one receiver in that offense uh, over the next month, he might be useful. Let's get into some quick hitting questions to help set everyone up the best we can on a Wednesday for their week nine matchups. Let's assume with the bye following Monday night's matchup for the Ravens, they only have one game in the next 19 days. So they can afford if they choose to sit Mark Andrews and Gus Edwards, along with Rashad Bateman, who's already been ruled out. Where would you rank Isaiah likely Paulson knowing that he would then start for Andrews? He looked good uh, in that last game with uh, Andrews knocked out early. That was a heartbreaking situation. We In my FFPC league, we picked up uh, likely in case Andrews couldn't play. Andrews was healthy or enough to play, and then he gets knocked out with a different injury and likely goes off for 22 points on our bench. We, of course, lose the game. Uh, but such is life. Uh, I think likely would be ranked top seven or eight, like looking at the, with all the tight ends out this week, you have Kelsey uh, Andrews would be out of the picture. Ertz Goddard would be the only three that I would start for sure over him. And then you're getting into, you know, Tanyan, uh, Everett, Higby Hill, uh, Taysom Hill, Kyle Pitts as kind of an equitable type start. So I think if you have likely and, and Andrews is out, you're very likely starting him. And one note on Kyle Pitts is, the 32% target share got there this week, but the target share, the routes run have never been the issue. Uh, what we were really trying to do over the Falcons offense is project if Marcus Mariota is going to throw 28 pass attempts per game. And uh, I don't think that will happen. So I'm still quite down on pits. Sam, if Cooper Cup is out, we think he'll play right now. Four for fours, Adam Hutchinson believes Cooper Cup will play. But if he does not, where would you then rank Allen Robinson? That's a really good question. I mean, I think it's probably wide receiver for three territory. Uh, they did get Van Jefferson back this past week. So I think it's, I, there's no way that that Stafford is going to hyper target Robinson like he does Cooper cup. And this offense just has been abysmal. They, they ranked dead last in EPA per play on the season and the bucks offense, or excuse me, the bucks defense 
doesn't look nearly as good as it did in the past, but are still, I think, an about average defense as well. So it's it's one of the games with one of the lowest totals on the week. I I'd be looking for other options again, probably a low end wide receiver three, high end wide receiver four for Robinson, even if Cooper Cup is out. Any movement then, Paulson, if Cup is ruled out for Ben Skowronik as well, uh, who I think may be an option to start in like these deeper FFPC leagues, given all the buys. Yeah, I mean, if you're taking Cup out of that offense, then everybody's moving uh, up, but Stafford's moving down. Uh, so the you know the passing pie is lower. They're just not going to be as effective without him on the field. I mean, you you could make a case for any of these guys to start, uh, but we I mean really Tyler Higby is the only one that I would have any confidence in. Uh, maybe Robinson to a, a certain degree since he plays uh, you know so many snaps and is out there uh, that his you know some of these targets would have to go to him just because he's out there. Um, we we don't know for sure how healthy Van Jefferson is relative to Skowronek. Um, but I wouldn't feel confident starting either of those guys uh, against the Bucs. I mean, Robinson and, and Higby really is it. How confident would you be on KJ Osborne, given that Adam Thielen dealing with a bruised knee, Irv Smith out for the next eight to 10 weeks, and T.G. Hawkinson learning the playbook? We would think Osborne, again, I keep repeating, especially in week nine, enters the fray as a wide receiver three or four if starting. Yeah, I think when you drafted Osborne, you're looking at him like a Boyd where you get some spot start ability and then you've got two receivers ahead of him that potentially could get injured and then they're moving into a number two role. And we, we're seeing what Boyd's doing with that. And Osborne, we know, is also talented. So if certainly if Thielen is out or limited, uh, Osborne's going to move way up in the rankings as the number two option there. And, you know, Hawkinson's still trying to find a place to live. Um, you know, Thielen tends to play through this stuff. So uh, we'll see. Um, but certainly Osborne is an option uh, if he's out. And Sam, I'm going to have both of you speak on it, but I'll allow you to lead off on the Falcons backfield since Cordero Patterson uh, activated 21. Was it 21 day window or activated from IR? I, I think I may have misheard the reporting his, and the wording it's the 21 day window he's he's okay. into he's not yet activated so no guarantee that he plays but eligible to be activated ahead of sunday what if anything are you doing with the falcons backfield let's say assuming patterson's back i i would expect them to lean heavily on patterson again if they if they truly believe that he's fully healthy in the four games that he started Earlier this year, when he was healthy, was averaging over 15 opportunities per game, had three rushing touchdowns as well. I don't think Tyler Algier or Caleb Huntley have really done anything to, you know, garner a, a bigger workload with Patterson back. They've both been been fine, but nothing amazing by any means. But again, we've seen that the we now know that the Falcons are going to continue to run the ball. And, and pound it down team's throat. So I think Patterson, when he returns, is, again, going to shift into a, a running back two uh, type role. Against the Chargers, Paulson, any final thoughts on the Falcons' backfield? Yeah, I mean, I think you look at, you know, if you've been holding Patterson this whole time, which I have in Scott Fishbowl, 
things went about as well as you could hope for. Tyler Algier did not run away with the job. 3.9 yards per carry. Uh, remained the lead back over Caleb Huntley, who actually did run the ball pretty well. 4.6 yards per carry. He had a nice game last week. Um, I think, ideally, you get into a Patterson-Huntley backfield if you're this team because just Algier just hasn't been there on a per carry basis but he's been okay um but I think Patterson's role is safe and um you know he he had 340 yards on 58 carries 5.9 yards per carry obviously we know he can catch the ball uh and they're extremely run heavy team so I would expect him to be a big part of this offense and they've been competitive you know they've, they've stuck around in games and continue to run the ball so um I would expect him RB2 you know, moving forward and, and, you know, watching him run out to practice here. I got some video of that up on Twitter. He's got that swag. So he looks good to me. Uh, knee scope is something I had twice in college uh, for basketball. It was three, it was a three week injury and I was back in week four. Uh, so I would expect Patterson to be out there based on my own experience. No excuse for Patterson not to return given your experience in college basketball from knee injury. Sam, what else do you have for everyone on the site? Yeah, opportunity two conclusions out this morning. The uh, breakout model coming tomorrow morning. Twitter is filled with charts, and we've got uh, some NBA stuff up now. Plenty of new NBA tools for for those interested in that. And uh, continuing to, yeah, just feed the beast. Like the NBA. I've also had questions in my chats about like streaming for week 12 quarterbacks that it's like, I can't even comprehend given all the changes going on every single day. Just, uh, I work 48 hours a time and a quarter mile at a time. Paulson, what else do you have on the site for everyone this week? Uh, I did post some bonus content this week. Uh, wrote about a paragraph for each of these trades, uh, trade impact, which is free to read, uh, for everybody, not behind the paywall. So check that out. Uh, sneaky starts will be up today and of course the podcast on Friday and just keeping up with all the, the rankings. Stay tuned for Paulson and Anthony to be back to close up those matchup questions for you on Friday. TJ Hernandez and I will also be back for DFS content Friday afternoon, 6 30 PM Eastern live. Our Halloween sale is over, but I bet if you DM me on Twitter at Najee Daigle, I bet we can still probably get you a discount. The season still has over half of it remaining more than enough time to still go out and do your league. But until then, be a little bit kinder than what you want. We'll see you next time.